tasty treat will double your enjoyment of the show. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Welcome to another episode of Tea Time, a series where we discuss topics related to trick takers, shedders, climbers, and other card games. And tonight's episode is brought to you by one of our newest Patreon supporters, Justin Ragovich. I hope I pronounced that last name correctly. Hopefully. Hopefully. But speaking of Patreon real quickly here, we have updated our Patreon page. We have new rewards that are available on the different tier levels. So we'll put a link in the description of this episode if you want to check it out to see what those reward levels are at. And of course, we always appreciate your support, even just listening. So don't feel pressured to to, to back it at all. Just listening and, and sharing us is, is plenty enough support. And we do appreciate everyone who has uh, backed us on Patreon so far. Yeah, some may say I should be paying them to listen to my puns, right, Ryan? I think you should be paying me at the very least because I have to edit it later, and so I have to listen to it multiple times. <laughs> as long as we don't cut them out, somebody's going to enjoy it out there somewhere. Yes, and I, that might be a dividing point in our podcast, I think, which is it's kind of funny. We There was a little discussion about it the other day where it was yeah where someone was like i recommend it as a gaming podcast not a pun podcast and somebody else was like well i actually like the puns so there are people that do enjoy your puns patrick divisive humor (laughs) there we go i tried stand-up comedy once people did laugh ryan i assure you uh but i digress because we have some other exciting news apart from me telling terrible dad jokes We actually have a Discord server now. That's right, we have our own Discord server. And we'd like you to participate. Join us if you use Discord and you fancy having a chat to our little small community of dedicated podcast listeners and trick takers, if you like. We will put a link on the description so that you can find it if you would like to hop along and get involved. Yeah, it's uh, as Patrick said, it's it's not so big right now. We're, we just launched it a few days ago, but we would love to have you join us and have some more conversations about our episodes. I, I know for me personally, it it's a little weird when Patrick and I have these conversations with each other and we share the episode and we know people are listening because we can see the stats go up but we don't get a lot of conversation off of it. And we'd love to have more conversation from it. And even just now, over the few days the Discord's been launched, the people I've joined in have been able to talk about it. So it's great to see. So the more people that we can get in there, the better uh, that I would like, at least. That's that's right. It's the virtual equivalent of having a few beers by the fire and catching up on trick takers. So you can't go wrong. Totally. This episode in particular... I think was going to be a more laid back episode, I guess, if if you'd call it that. It's always laid back, I'd say. True. Yeah. I mean, we're we're never a serious bunch. I mean, with all of your puns, I don't think we can ever be serious. Formal <laughs> card games only. Right? Totally. So first thing I wanted to mention here, before we get into anything, we need to update everybody on Patrick's 12 game challenge. I know it's been a few episodes since we've talked about it, and a couple people have asked us where Patrick's at 
on his 12 games that he can buy in the year. So Patrick, if you'd like to update everybody where we at are where we are at on that. Where we are at on that. It's a very good question, Ryan. You're not the only one. Uh the my partner's been on to me. I've got my local game group I normally play with. Every week I go around and they say, well, how many games are you on now? And damn, we thought you'd blow it within the first two or three months. And I'm pretty sure you thought the same, Ryan. I did. I didn't think you were going to make it past February. (laughs) Confidence. Well, I have to say that I've acquired seven games so far this year. You might think it a little harsh, Ryan, because if you recall, I was including inbound trades on that list. Mm Mm-hmm which makes life extra difficult for the average person in the hobby. Of those 12 games, only one of them, can you believe this, only one of them is a trick taker. Wow. What does that yeah. say about me? That that Well, that can say one of two things. You can either look at that and evaluate it and say either this guy's not into trick taking, which of course is wrong, or this guy just simply has too many trick takers. I might be at that stage. It's it's possible. I th- the thing with trick taking games though, it's so easy to buy five or six at once. A big board game seems like a bigger investment to make. Even if like if you imagine on average a big board game is roughly forty to sixty dollars. Your you know your mid weight. Yeah average size box that obviously can skew aggressively one way or another but you're looking around 40 to 60 dollars most likely with trick-taking games you're probably looking 15 to 35 dollars maybe but for some reason that this being a small box it's a lot easier to put more of those on your shelf and most of the time if you're listening to our podcast or you are people like us you're buying games from other places where you have to import them so shipping becomes expensive so you're normally buying five six seven eight nine games at a time so your number racks up quickly the fallacy of the import ryan it's so easy to say it's only a small game if i'm buying from japan anyway i might as well chuck a few more in to get my money's worth and then you look at it in retrospect and you you know from the outside and you say are you actually getting your money's worth or are you just spending more money? At what point do you draw the line? Of course, these are fun, right? But Yeah, and I actually have sort of a funny story here. One of my friends, one of my local friends, wanted to get Let's Make a Bus Route and a couple other Sashi and Sashi games. Oh, yeah, great guy. And, yeah, and I sent them my video that shows like how to use Zen Market and the the steps to importing a game. And they were still a little intimidated by it, which I totally get. You know, if you've never done that mm-hmm. before, it's 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 very scary. And I was like, that's fine. I'll do it for you. No problem. I'll I'll set it up and you can just come pick them up when they get here. And at that point, it opened up the floodgates because I'm like, well, if I'm already getting games for him, I may as yeah. well just grab a couple of games for myself while I'm at it. And next thing you know, I've got like seven games on that list of trick takers that are... Danger. Yeah, I mean, Suragaya always has used games that are always insanely dirt cheap. I got a copy of Tanuki to Chagum for, I think it was like 650 yen or something. Like, crazy cheap. Well, that's that game where the the things always hide in the teacups, right? Yes, it is. 
Yeah. So it it just becomes really easy to just grab a lot of these games. So I get the fact that only one of your games that you've got so far is a trick taker. Yeah. Is is prophecy the one trick taker that you got? I can't remember what is it. So actually, the one trick taker that is on my list I haven't got yet, and that is Tricky Time Crisis by John Barron. And we talked about our your first impressions of this game on our uh, penultimate last episode, but one I think uh, at least when it comes out, it will be. And you were quite passionate about it, so I took a leap of faith, Ryan. Knowing what I know, the art looks great. Saibepu. I'm sure we're going to give it more coverage. I would like to get a play of it. The must-not-follow Tricky Time Crisis seemed really appealing because of that Potato Man, David and Goliath mix, and that's what kind of sold it to me. I have had quite a few close calls during this challenge where I've added a game to my wish list, which, by the way, I'm I'm highly recommending this to anyone out there who wants to try and stop themselves from just buying everything that they see. Added a few games to my wish list, waited a little bit, and then decided, actually, do I really want this? And it's not because it's a bad game if I remove it, Ryan. Actually, when you've got an allocation of 12, you have to be, you have to laser focus yourself in terms of what you're picking up and saying to yourself, does this do something different to what I've got? Has this got a place in my collection? Can you imagine the agony that the self turmoil that I've been going through while I've been doing this? I can't imagine that. That's a lot. And being in the Discord servers that you're in and just seeing all the conversation that comes from all these games, it it can be tough. I mean, you know, FOMO is a thing, talking about all the new hotness and even older games that become available, these reprints that we're getting of older games that are now starting to come. It it's hard to, like you said, laser focus in on the games that you really consider to be one of those 12. Yeah, I mean, I look forward to talking about some of those in the future and what made me pick up some of those 12 games on the list. I really hope by the end of the year I can turn around and say to you, Ryan, do you know what? I've done it. I will say I am caveating. I've ended up with some promo cards for a couple of games. I'm not counting that as a game, but I think if I pick up an expansion, that's where I draw the line. People are saying I'm being really harsh on myself. I'm counting inbound trades. Do you think I'm being harsh on myself or is this just... I'm Absolutely not. No, I think the goal that you're setting yourself is appropriate for whatever you believe that you want to do. If trades are counting, if expansions are counting, that's great. I think... Any purchase of a game at any level, even though, sure, like you said, trades, I got I mean, considering trades are usually one game for another. Yeah. So you're getting rid of something while you're gaining something. It's still a new game that you're adding to your shelf that's unplayed. Exactly. And the idea of this limiting yourself of purchasing, sure, money is a factor. You don't want to just blow all this money and never play the things. The time is also the factor. Buying the game that you intend to play, if it just sits on your shelf and never gets played, 
to me, I can see goes against the spirit of what your 12 games that you're going for is. So personally, I think it's not harsh at all. Okay. You could say I've had a tricky time with the challenge. As long as you're not in a crisis. Exactly. And that's it. Don't make me start saying puns here, okay? Moving on. Well, there we go. <laughs> I'm luring you into it. Are you in a crisis, Ryan? How's your collection going? Uh, well, it's good thing you bring that up because I am now introducing myself into a challenge. You gave yourself 12 games in the year. I am actually going to one-up you a little bit. Oh, he's playing the trump card. I am. And to give a little bit of a background before I introduce what my challenge is, as of this recording, April 25th, 2023, I have 264 trick-taking, climbing, and shedding games in my collection. Well, can I just say and stop you there? I thought I probably had too many, and I only have 87. So that that's 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 a lot of games, Ron. That's it is. And honestly, so I I use the BG stats as I talked about on the last episode when I was talking with Tyla. The number of games is recorded on there, and I can always see it at any time. And obviously, I can visually see it with all the games in my calic squares and above them. And I actually thought I had more than that. So to me, it's actually two sixty four is kind of a relief just based on physically looking at what i have is good <laughs> i uh, guess sorry that's that's trick taking games that's sh- shedding games climbing games and yes all small wow. box trick taking okay. climbing shedding in any form is that amount okay and out of all of those 79 of them are unplayed now i also thought that number was a little low I expected there to be more. I was a little surprised, which kind of made me happy. But at the same time, almost 80 games unplayed is insane to me. You've got a few to go out there. Yeah. So how are you going to get those played? So that is where my new challenge comes in, I think. I am not allowing myself to buy any new trick-taking, shedding, or climbing games this year until I get through all 79 of those unplayed games. I think that is a great idea, but you do realize you've just told all the listeners and now you are bound by the law of the podcast audience. Yes, the the very specific law that is going to be the set in place. Law. Yes. No, and and that's why I kind of like having this podcast and being able to say that. It, Hold yourself to account. Exactly. Just like with you, with having the 12 games and, and having people checking in on you, <laughs> this is a good check-in for me. And there are a couple people at my local Monday night trick-taking that listen to this podcast and are going to hear this and are absolutely going to keep me accountable, which is great. And... I think it's going to be very hard to not buy anything like zero. That's so hard. (laughs) That is. Yeah. Because bear in mind if you're, and I say, if you're anything like me, well, you've told me how many trick taking games you've got. It's so easy to look at something and go, wow, that does something different. I must have it. So you, how many games then did you pick up? If I ask you this, then have you any idea in terms of what you picked up last year? Was that quite a lot of trick-taking games or were you at 
quite a small number? I don't remember exactly where I would have been last year, but I would say within the last eight months, I've probably acquired 80 or 90-ish, which roughly equals around the number of unplayed ones I've I've played that I have. To sort of, I guess, put a full perspective, when I really started to deep dive into the trick-taking games and started to collect a bunch and play a bunch of these, I was at about 50 or so and would always find a way to get to play those, got a couple more, played those, and I was always able to keep up with the number that I would buy to the number that I would play. Right. But as we continue to say here, when you import these games and you buy a lot of them, the ability to keep up with the number that you buy becomes a little bit harder. And I think part of it is also, I don't know the exact number of the 79 that are unplayed, but I want to say it's roughly 30 of them aren't translated yet. There's only Japanese rules. There's no English rules available or they require paste-ups and there are no paste-ups done yet. So at this point, those are unplayable. Until we can figure out the rules, I can't play it. And that challenge I'm giving to myself, I want to stop getting new games until I've played them because more than likely the games I'm going to be purchasing, especially with the upcoming Tokyo game market in a few weeks, they're going to be untranslated games. Most of the time when we're getting information about how the game plays, it's a sentence or two on the game market website and it's being translated from the auto translate. So it doesn't tell you what the game really does. The hook of the game is there and it tells you how it's trying to be different. But at this point I have, like I said, 264, 79 that are unplayed. I want to explore those more now. I think it's a positive thing. I think I think you should. Obviously, everyone's different, how they like to collect games. But I know from my perspective in doing this challenge... I'm finding that if I want to try a new game out, often I'll gravitate to playingcards.io, which, of course, is a great way to try games out. The other side to it, apart from things like playingcards.io, BGA, or wherever you can play these games, and albeit a lot of these games, Ryan, like you said, are inaccessible because they're in Japanese text. You just you can't play them, and you can't really try them out because you don't know the rules and you don't know how well they're going to be received in the future because you haven't got a crystal ball, right? So you don't know how well they're going to land with your groups. There's a lot of unknown factors. And obviously part of being on this podcast is we can try some of these out for you guys and give you our opinions. But I, I think in your position, doing the challenge is a really admirable thing because relative to your collection, as you've, as you've said, so hopefully you're able to explore in depth the collection that you've got. It's so easy to look at these small boxes and think, well, they're only small. They won't take up much space. But then you pile them all together and they are ginormous in form factor when you put them all on the shelves. So great stuff there. I will be interested to see how you get on. And rest assured, Ryan, I'll be holding you to account. Oh, I appreciate that. And everybody listening, please hold me. Uh, in account for all of that the trick taking renaissance that we're in 
And there's a lot of, I'm finding now, the temptation is more than ever because we're getting a lot of Western publishers as well releasing these trick-taking games into the hobby, releasing older printed versions of Japanese games that were once really hard to find and inaccessible. And that is also feeding into my desire to pick up games and it goes against the challenge which I've set for myself. How do you feel about that? I would 100% agree. And I think part of us doing this podcast was a reason why I allowed myself to buy as many games as I did to like trick myself into saying it was okay. It was like, well, this is research. As, yeah. As yeah. we've kind of joked about it's research for the podcast to be able to say. And, but there comes a point of where I, I have too many. I, I'm at 80, almost 80, 79 unplayed. That is so many games that I could still play now and have enough conversation on this podcast. We could make enough episodes off of those where I don't need to buy another new game for quite some time. And, and like you said, though, with a lot of Western publishers reprinting these games, it's getting me excited again. I I love to hype things up. I, I, I'm sure that's probably pretty evident on this podcast. I, I love being a hype man. And it can be problematic when you start to have a little influence when people listen and, and potentially buy things off of that. And, and I understand that power that comes with it. And, and it's weird to me when I talk about this part. So I don't want to go too deep into that. But because there's so many games and there's so much available out there, there's going to be a game for you. And as long as you can find the right number of games for you, that's what's important. For me, 264 games is too many. While I want to play all of them, and I have for the most part played all of them, there are some that I've only played once or twice and I felt kind of meh about them. No, no, don't tell me it was Ameno Kirifuda, please. Do I have to say something? <laughs> <laughs> our, our echo? Oh, just, uh, you haven't got our uh, echo. I don't actually own that one, no. But th- th- that's the idea, though. Is that So Tower of Pancakes. Oh, yes. As I've mentioned, I think once in the past. It fell flat, right? The pancakes. It fell extremely fat. I have played that four times now, and all four times have been a struggle to get through. That game to me, is not good at all. I know most people share that sentiment, and I really do hope, and I also believe, that game is for somebody. There is somebody out there that enjoys that game, and I love that. Someone likes pancakes. Yeah. Feeding pancakes to cats is a cute theme. Right. And that goes back to the whole idea of, I bought that game because that's all I really knew about it. I only got to read the little blurb on the Japanese website that said you're feeding cats pancakes and the art looked super cute about feeding them pancakes. So I'm like, I'm in. Done. Right. That's that's all you need. Yeah. And every game I have played of that, everybody at the table had zero fun with it. And And the fact that I still own that game now, purely because of the fact that I keep telling myself, Maybe I'll play it with somebody that will enjoy it. Maybe I'll find a time I will enjoy it. Maybe my seventh play of it, I'll discover this thing that'll make it interesting. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's the same song and dance that most board gamers have. You're buying these games with that grandiose idea that it's going to get played at this right moment. 
and you keep a game because of that right moment so can i so in my case do you because i know i do it i look at a trick-taking game or any game and i imagine my friends around the table i imagine their faces and how they potentially react to that game and where who might be the right people to have around the table to play that game from my group yet some trick-taking games like yourself i've had for years not not even open them don't know why i've got a copy of innis in there in the other room that hasn't been opened since 2020 and i'm keeping it because i think that right occasion is going to arrive and unfortunately it never does yeah and and i feel like i, I don't want to say that's an a problem because it's Again, everybody's different. There's no right answer for anybody. Depending on the size of your collection and what you think is all right, if you have a game that's unopened since 2020 and you've only got 10 games in your collection, then, you know, sure, that's okay. Maybe you have 300 games in your collection. That game hasn't been opened until 2020. If you personally have the right amount of space and the amount of money and the time, whatever you believe is okay for that, then that's fine. I know for me personally, and it sounds like from you, we've kind of hit that point of where we're holding onto these games too long. They're not getting played. Games are meant to be played. I mean, the idea of games is they are intended and designed to be played. You hope. Yeah. And, and I understand, and I totally get, there is an aspect of gaming where it just comes to collecting, you know, art is a collection. Somebody buys a piece of art. You can't play with it. It just, you hang it on your wall and it gets admired. And for some people, they like to buy games to do that. It is a staple in their house. And again, while the, I believe the original intention of a game is to be played for some people, they just like it to be there as art. And if that is what they want it for, by all means, go for it. There are a lot of games that are insanely hard to find and to buy and people just want it as a collector's item. Yeah, and that's part of the allure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know for for me, and I, and I keep saying for me because I kind of want to hammer it home that I, I'm in no way, shape, or form trying to tell anybody to do anything differently. I just, for me, I have Cat in the Box. Bezier Games brought the new deluxe edition that's easily available in the US and, and most areas on the Western side. And I own that. I also bought a first edition of Cat in the Box about three months before I was able to buy the deluxe edition. Because once it was announced that a new edition was coming out, it was a little bit easier to buy the original. And I was like, well, I'm going to own it now because it'll be cool to have the original edition. I haven't played it. I just play my deluxe edition because it's got the fancier bits. It's the same game, but I just wanted to own the original edition because it's sitting on my shelf and I can show people I've got the original. And it's just like, I don't understand why I'm doing that anymore yeah there's an underlying theme of cats going on here ryan because we talked about cats eating pancakes two editions of cat in the box and i suppose this is appropriate time to say that we found you a copy of catty we probably mentioned it on a previous episode and i've already forgotten that's also a cat related game do you have a cat i do not i have dogs and there are plenty of dog trick-taking games which i'm happy with I, I do want to point out, though, that Caddy is one that I am glad I got. Me, me too. That one's also impossible. I'm going to say impossible. Very difficult to find. But 
taking a step back when we, you talked about buying the cat in the box the first edition and having the second in the majority of cases ryan i'm sure you'll agree to some extent the games getting re-released that were previously impossible to find have changed for the better for example we haven't seen it yet but new edition of Dwas coming out hopefully with better card stock than the first edition had to put those straight into sleeves but, but they tend to experiment a little bit tweak the rules refine it like like a, uh, a distilled whiskey or wine over a few years and they tend to make changes for the better and knowing that these games are probably going to come out again at some point in the future and be put, picked up by a publisher hopefully should make your challenge and my challenge a little bit easier without thinking that this game is going to disappear forever in most cases of where the game is good it tends to stick around absolutely and i want to say it's weird talking about this too because at the same time like i am a part of pgc i am helping make trick takers become available in english i'm helping the reprint of haggis and then i know there's daniel newman a part of new mill industries as you said bringing dwas uh, and zimbabwe trick and yeah. slowly he's going to be bringing some other games coming it is exciting to see all of these games getting reprinted it it constantly becomes a double-edged sword and it's really hard to say because on the one hand it's so nice to see a lot of these games that might not have been getting a lot of love in the past getting a lot of love now i think yeah. Yo yokai septet is a fantastic example From the yokai man of course <laughs> but yeah yeah no i agree that, yeah. that's been getting some really nice publicity recently mm -hmm. yeah we covered it i think on episode four or three i think it was one of three or four early days and i don't want to say we're we're great and we covered it before the big the big splurge of we everyone were else. First, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there was one person, uh, Kenny, in the PGC Discord server who had said, like, it's it's great to see that Yokai is now getting all of this coverage from No Pun Included, Shut Up and Sit Down, uh, Before You Play and everything. And I had said back to him that Yokai has always been this amazing game. It's deserved this recognition from when it first came out. It's just finally getting there. And whether it's because of this trick-taking renaissance that's happening, which I'm almost certain is part of it. Yes. This new resurgence of more people seeing these trick-taking games has helped get more eyes on it. And a lot of these other games that are going to get reprints are going to see more people in... The, the English market are going to play these games that have been around for three, four, five plus years that I think deserve to have the recognition three, four, five years ago. Exactly. No, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think that the discoverability of these games is now out there. What we talked about previously and what we tend to talk about on these shows and then the market catching up with the pace and realizing actually this is a great game and you see more people talking about them that's lovely to see it's great that the trick-taking games are flowing into the market slowly but surely thank god then ryan that you didn't start your challenge and then yokai septic got released could you imagine that dilemma i don't even want to think about that that would be so hard I, I Okay, I want to throw a little caveat in there. 
my challenge is starting after I backed Tricky Time Crisis. <laughs> the caveat, that's, yeah, I thought so. And I'm already making it sound like, oh, I'm going to break this challenge immediately and start buying games. I have talked about how much I love Tricky Time Crisis. I have the review copy that John sent me. And I just, I would love to have an official copy that's got the box and, and to support John because of the fact that he thought to think of me to send the game to. And I, I love the game. And, and everybody that I've shown it to in my group has enjoyed it. And it's just a game that I know will get played. It has been played and it will continue to get played. And my review copy that I have is one that I could see myself either giving back to John or if he's okay with it, giving it as a gift to somebody so that they can enjoy the game. So to me, Tricky Time Crisis is just me getting a game that I already have. Exactly. Yeah, you kind of already have it. Yeah. So beyond that, though, I won't buy anything else. <laughs> we'll be keeping tabs. Yes. And I will say it's going to be so hard because there's the other must-not-follow game that's coming this year, uh, Orem by Shreesh. And yes. I've played that before, and it's really good. I like it. It's a team game when you play it at four and free-for-all when you play it at three. Pandasaurus has released and announced and sent all the pictures, and you can pre-order it on their website now. And the restraint to not pre-order it has been real. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, I've played the prototype of this in its early form. I'm sure Shreesh has, who designed the game, I'm sure they have made, worked hard on it and produced it. Looking at the artwork, it looks fantastic. So Pandasaurus have done a great job on that. In fact, I had one of mem my group members who I play games with message me and say, have you seen this game that's been announced, this Orium? And I said, well... Yes, I know the designer through PGC and I have had the luxury of playing a prototype and it is great. So it's funny that these things are trickling through to the mainstream a bit more now than they were as we've talked about and we talk about all the time on our renaissance uh, discussions of, of trick-taking in general. But it's lovely to see and it really gives you some pause for thought. So... We'll see if that ends up in your list, Ryan, uh, later on in the year. Yeah, that game alone might give me the, the fire in my bottom to get my 79 games that are unplayed played just so I can can it's get just... that one. Because it's, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And as I said, I like to be a hype man. And as you probably have guessed now, I'm, I'm hyping this game up. So for people that might have their wallets a little more open than me, <laughs> you might want to check this one out. If you can find a way to try it before you buy it, this would always be a good option. But definitely one to check out if you are interested in must not follow or just, of course, trick taking in general, which you probably are listening to, to this episode. Hopefully, hopefully. And yeah, I will say that I don't believe international orders are open for the UK, at least at the moment. But hopefully in the future, it becomes a bit easier to get a copy over here i'm not suggesting at the moment ryan i've got to see how my challenge goes of course yeah i i i feel like our podcast is just going to devolve into us talking about games we wish we could have and our misery <laughs> philosophizing about how we would have bought them definitely how everybody <laughs> else should buy them but we can't because we're doing a challenge the irony yes yeah. but i mean i to i don't know to me 
I feel like that makes it better to listen to us. I, I don't know if this is like being vain or not. Knowing that we're limiting ourselves to what we buy might make us look at these games a little bit different. Yeah, exactly. And I think the good thing about being able to do this and do the challenge and purchasing of games in general, Ryan, is we'll always be honest and about how we've experienced the game, whether it fell flat or not. There's not the... Some channels you go on and it's all about buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it, but it's good to take a step back take catch your breath and say actually where are the pitfalls as well and identify who it's not for so we are not biased in our opinions albeit ryan likes a lot of games <laughs> so do i, I do. <laughs> but this is going to be even more uh more in critical now we're limiting ourselves with current circumstances yeah and i'd also like to think and i hope that this allows us kind of going forward to always do that. I feel like from the beginning we've as you said we've been we've been all right with doing that. I mean, I I love everything as you said. I it's hard for me to find a game that I dislike or hate cuz pancakes cats. Yeah, I, I'm a little more yeah. open to understanding of games and to me a lot of games that are average, I'm still like, yeah, that's great. That's fine. That's okay. Yeah. Games are allowed to be average. But to buy that game for yourself if you have limited shelf space sometimes those average games aren't worth it if you don't want to buy 10 of the same game that do roughly the same thing and are all pretty okay find that one that is amazing and just have that one that's totally okay exactly so i i hope that challenge allows us to look at games like that and kind of curate the list of what we have my my ultimate plan is at the end of playing all of those unplayed games and and having the total 264 played is i will then sell a lot of those games that i think are fine to me and i want to see have a better home i'm mm, kiri fuda <laughs> <laughs> so i will spoil it now that game is already on my list i knew it would be yep it's definitely one on the list i'm a bit the same i will be having a bit of a purge i'm always having a bit of a purge i always say that but doing the challenge really makes me think about my collection of what should be there and what shouldn't and what i'm actually getting played i suppose when you review your stats and here's an interesting thing right you record everything don't you ryan i do so i'd be interested to know of this massive collection of trick takers you've got you say 79 are unplayed what about the ones you play the most or specifically maybe say five or more plays can you tell me a bit more about those yeah that's a great question actually and you said five or more? Yeah, we say five or more is a staple figure because when you've got a large collection of games and me and you <laughs> both, it can be quite difficult to get more than one or two plays of specific games, if at all, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I am at 26 games that have five or more plays, specifically right. trick-taking, shedding, climbing. So about 10% of your collection, mm-hmm. trick-taking collection. Yeah, which to me is low 
I would yeah. like to see that closer to 30 to 50%. No pressure. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and so looking over it actually now, I'm, I'm looking through the BG stats and it's really cool the custom filters you can put in here. Little plug, I guess, for <laughs> BG stats. I love yeah, this app. It's yeah, great. I'm, I will hype this app to no end. This app is awesome. It's it's so good. And I am at 59 plays of trick takers. I'm at 36 plays of Bridge City Poker. There are six games that are above 15, which is pretty good. I think that's all right. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the crew that I, I know whenever people talk about when they track the crew of do you track individual missions or do you track the whole session? I'm one of those people that tracks the individual hand. So I have... 193 plays of the crew mission deep sea and 259 plays of the crew the quest for planet nine pretty impressive i'm like that with the crew but what i tend to do is i just record when i play it in general i know from past experience ryan that you tend to record quite a lot of detail and same with the trick trick takers the game where you record who won, who took the crown and things like that. So it seems like you go into a lot of detail, which is interesting. I tend to do that with certain games. For example, it's not trick-taking, but Reiner Knizia's Lord of the Rings confrontation, dark side, light side. We can work out if it's balanced when we're playing because we look back and we say, well, who won more You know, with that particular side? So I do understand that. And we also, I have a little league that I do with my friends where we say, okay, to qualify this year, you have to play at mine or with me, you know, 20 times or 25 times to qualify. And then we look of our group, who's got the most wins. A lot of these, of course, are trick-taking wins. But you can imagine some people get pretty upset, Ryan, when we look back at the wins or, or the qualifications and say, okay, well, someone's had 20 wins of Nana, and someone else got two wins of root, for example. So chalk and cheese, depending on the games. But it's always interesting to reflect on winning statistics so, and obviously statistics in play. So I do understand it. Yeah, no, I, th I think, I mean, just the stats app in general, being able to track all that to, to me is really interesting. And I know for some people, it's like, well, statting at all is weird. Just I play the game and then it's done and they move on. Yeah. And, and that's great too. Again, do whatever works for you. But for me, being able to look back on all of that after is is a fun time. It, it allows those memories of the games you play, which is ultimately, I feel like, the idea. You know, when you play games, you're trying to build memories with friends. Yeah, I mean, to use one analogy, you take photos to preserve memories and look back at them. And in a similar way, BG Stats is your photo snapshot of that particular evening or day that you played a game. And it's nice to reflect and look back on it exactly, because it keeps things interesting. And certainly if you haven't played a game for a long time and you're with the similar people, it creates like a little mini challenge between you, even if there's no prize fun, right? So, yeah. Well, those were a lot of my games that I've gotten five or more. But Patrick, what are some of the games that you have that are at the five or more plays? So like you, Ryan, I've got the crew down. But I've only got 14 plays logged for it. And I assure you, I completed it in 14 plays 
So it's just funny when because <laughs> you were talking about how many you know, hands and missions you'd done, and then when you break that down into actually how many plays it takes, it's it's always amusing to to look at it from that perspective. Trick takers again. That's fourteen. That's probably a lot of those plays were probably with the likes of yourself, as I know you've got that one down as a one of the chief culprits in your many many plays of trick takers or trick taking games. I've always a, always a tongue twister that one, isn't it? Stickem classic game. For some reason, my friends just absolutely love love that game. It might be to do with the negative interaction. You either have a group that loves that or hates that, and it can be quite divisive, but there we go. Cloud People. I'm sure you know the name of that one. Boast or Nothing. Boast or Nothing. Yeah, that's always a great cracking one, so that's always gets requested. And I've got others on there, Ryan, like, you know, Hatchy Train, Hamlin Cave, Jekyll and Hyde, Scout, Inside Job, and I, uh, I could go on here. But hopefully that gives you a flavour of some of my repeat repeated trick-taking games that i've played and like i said i'm sure we'll cover it at some point but i've got quite a few that are on the shelf that just don't seem to see any table time and that could be some interesting stuff for us to talk about on a future episode yeah plenty of games to cover as as we know there are yeah. plenty of unplayed games so once we start like gems yeah once we get them played well, i'm sure we'll have plenty of stuff to talk about well I think at this point we've probably talked a lot about our your challenge and my new challenge and trick taking and unplayed and philosophy of life. Exactly. Yeah, I, I feel like yeah. we got very. Uh, what's the number forty two mean? Or what's the what is that? Is that what it's forty two? Yeah, the number forty two. Not like the the number of life or whatever. The question to life. Am I making that up? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy comes up. Yes, yeah, yeah, which is what it's yes, from. Yes, it is 42. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. I'm with you. Yeah, cool. This isn't going to be a weird thing to not edit. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw in there. If you haven't seen Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, 42 is a reference from that. Uh, yeah, I don't know where to go from there. I guess our outro. <laughs> so we hit, shall we hitchhike from there to the end of the episode? Uh, I guess we should. Uh, yes. I, I feel like I don't need to plug our Patreon anymore, as we said at the beginning of the episode, and we do every episode, so check the link <laughs> for more on that. Please do, yeah. <laughs> and as always, if you have any questions, comments, recommendations, whatever, we can be emailed at tricktalkers at gmail.com and reached at Twitter at tricktalkers. And even more importantly now, we can be reached on our Discord server. So if you hop over to our Discord server, you can always chat with us there and talk about whatever you heard on an episode or if, again if there's any suggestions you might have yeah come and tell me and ryan to stop buying games and uh <laughs> whip us into shape totally it's a great idea <laughs> well thank you for listening to tonight's episode and we will catch you on the next one see you around bye for now <laughs>